The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Podcast, presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Welcome to the AV Podcast Movies and Games Edition, November the 8th, 2006. In this week's edition, as well as the usual DVD and gaming news and reviews, the AV Play Review Team discuss the merits of computer animation. From AV Play, it's this week's DVD and HD news and reviews. Welcome to this week's HD and DVD news and reviews. Coming up, we've got reviews of Click on Region 1 DVD and V for Vendetta on HD DVD. But first, it's time for the news and Seth Gecko. Well, first up this week, we have the unbelievably short announcement that X-Men 3 The Last Stand is coming out on Blu-ray disc on the 14th of November. Yep, you heard me, they've announced it about a week before they're actually bringing the disc out. The entire disc will feature 100% HD content and the movie will be in the ABC codec. Not only that, it's also going to have a 6.1 DTS ESHD lossless soundtrack. So this looks like it could be a very good disc to pick up if you're a Blu-ray owner. And moving on to Region 2 DVD, multi-award winning comedian Jimmy Carr continues his quest to entertain the masses with the release of his new live collection box set, which comprises of two of his hugely successful DVDs, Jimmy Carr Live and Jimmy Carr The Stand-Up. The box set will be available from the 13th of November 2006. Warner Home Video have announced the HD DVD and Blu-ray release of The Ant Bully on the 28th of November. The Blu-ray disc will feature a 1080p widescreen transfer with Dolby Digital 5.1 soundtrack and the usual English, Spanish and French subtitles. Extras will include 7 animated shorts, additional scenes and a making of feature app. The HD DVD is actually going to be a combo disc, which will have the 1080p widescreen on one side and the DVD on the other. We will also have a Dolby True HD 5.1 soundtrack, plus all the usual extras. And moving back to Region 2 again, and two more reissues, this time for Christmas. Due on the 20th of November, we have Max and Paddy's box set, which includes Max and Paddy's Road to Nowhere, and Max and Paddy The Power of Two. And also released on the same day and date is Phoenix Knight's box set 2006, which includes both seasons of the very popular Channel 4 sitcom. Looking at the specs, there's no differences between these and the editions which are already available. However, they do come in nice packaging for Christmas. This week's DVD Reviews. And this week's DVD review is the Region 1 Adam Sandler comedy, Click. Sandler plays Mike Newman, a successful architect and who's married to a beautiful wife played by Kate Beckinsale. He also has two nice kids and a golden retriever as a dog. Michael is a bit of a workaholic and is trying to work his way up inside a company which is run by none other than David Hasselhoff. His whole life is suffering somewhat and in a vain attempt to try and get control of his life, he heads out to buy a universal remote control for his TV. On turning up in his local Beds, Bathroom and Beyond store, he meets Morty, played by Christopher Walken. On asking for a universal remote, Walken literally gives him a remote control which can control his universe. It all starts off in an amusing manner where Michael can pause, mute, rewind and fast forward his life. 
However, as with all new technology these days, the remote control learns his preferences. And before he knows it, he's skipping his way through his life and missing out on his family. Click's a bit of a morality tale, basically saying that work never should come in front of family life. For those who don't like Sandler, bear with it, because in my opinion, this is very much along the same lines as Frank Capra's What a Wonderful Life. The movie starts out with all the jokes, as you can imagine, and the great gags where he can pause, mute and rewind his life. However, as the movie gets into the third act, it all becomes a bit dark and despondent, as Michael's life starts to fall apart big style. The remote seems to be stuck on fast forward, and before we know it, Michael is racing past the best years of his life and missing his family grow up. It's not a laugh-out-loud comedy, and certainly the third act may leave a bad taste in the mouth. You could say, click goes sour. But don't despair, because as always with these Hollywood movies, things never turn out that badly, do they? So overall, Click is a film with a message, which is basically, you shouldn't put work before your wife and children. Picture-wise, there's nothing wrong with this 185 to 1 transfer, and as it's a Sony release, they get most things right these days when it comes to DVD. There's certainly nothing within the print that I need to bring to your attention. Sound-wise, as a comedy, the soundtrack is very work-like in its execution, with some good use of the surrounds for the soundtrack, but nothing out of the ordinary. Extras-wise, if you're a Sandler fan, then there's plenty here to keep you occupied for at least half an hour, but nothing there that you'd want to watch more than once. So overall, Click is an average fluffy comedy, and I'll score it a healthy 6 out of 10. This week's HD DVD Review. Well, this week I've been watching V for Vendetta on HD DVD. The movie was written by Alan Moore of comic book fame, and as the original was a comic book, this is an adaptation of such. It was also produced by the Wachowski brothers of The Matrix fame. Now, the premise of the movie is that the UK is under power by a totalitarian government. This doesn't sit well with a particular character called V, hence the title. Now, V is our hero, although the methods that he uses to accomplish his goals can be seen as terrorist acts. Now, before he blows up the Old Bailey, he stumbles across Evie Hammond, played by Natalie Portman, who is being attacked by the Fingermen, who are the police of the government. Soon, he takes her under his wing and convinces her to help him. However, V has other motives as well, as he has been killing various members of the government and those that are related to it. Now, to say too much more on the movie would actually lessen the impact when you see it. It is a very good film. It does suffer, however, from having a quite a verbose script. There are quite a few monologues in this movie, which for some people may find it difficult to palate. However, bear with it, it is very good. We have a wonderful, grim view of Britain, although the script has obviously been updated since the original comic books have come out, and it's quite a visual movie. In terms of an HD DVD, we have a very, very good picture, and while it's not as good as Batman Begins or indeed Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, we have a very dark image for the most part, some of it is set at night, however when we do get colours, we do get very bright vivid colours. For example, the V in Vendetta, when we have the logo come up at the beginning of the movie, is very red, um, it is wonderfully sharp and there is no colour bleed which benefits this particular format. However, we do have a slight element of grain which I believe is down to the actual film stock and it is present on the original DVD release as well, so I don't believe that it's an actual fault of the transfer. The movie has both a Dolby Digital Plus and True HD soundtrack and these are absolutely brilliant, 
but there is a caveat. The problem with this particular disc is that the LFE is far too aggressive. In fact, at some point you'll be turning the volume up so you can hear it in all its wonderful glory, and as soon as the old Bailey is destroyed, your room will shake far, far too much. In terms of extras, we have exactly the same as the two-disc DVD, however, we also have the picture-in-picture -picture commentary track, which runs with the movie. In this track, we will see the director, various crew members, and we also see Natalie Portman and Hugo Weaving discussing the movie. This particular movie is very good, and it is my favourite film of the year so far. It is slightly bleak, it is action-packed, it has got a strong storyline, and the characters are endearing. It is my favourite film so far of the year, and as such, I will score this 8 out of 10. For the biggest and best DVD and HD news and reviews, visit avplay.com. The AV Podcast Gaming News with Ian Collin and Seth Gecko. PC gamers have been well aware for a while that they can play two games online featuring superheroes, their City of Heroes and City of Villains. However, there was a huge controversy about a year ago where Marvel got very upset about uh, the games themselves. They found out that people were creating their licensed characters in-game. The irony was is the actual characters that were being created were actually being created by Marvel employees themselves. However, news up now is that the studio behind the City of Heroes and City of Villains games, which is Cryptic Studios, have actually been signed up by Marvel to produce Marvel Universe Online. This will be an MMO game for 360 owners and Vista owners um, to actually go online, create their characters like Captain America, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, all the X-Men, Fantastic Four, etc. and go head to head. The more exciting part of this is that 360 owners will actually be able to um, play against PC owners and vice versa. So not only are we playing the same game, it's across formats. So if they actually bring that out on things like PS3 or even Wii, we'll have a, a huge community of gamers all playing the same thing. Very similar to the uh, Dreamcast and Quake uh, options from a few years back. So you'll be able to play these. One person can be playing them on an Xbox, one person can be playing them on a PC. Yeah, basically, I mean, I'm more a PC gamer as you know Ian and you're more of a 360 gamer um, yeah. if we had the same game we could go online I could be Wolverine, you could be the Incredible Hulk but basically if we had the game we could meet up online, we could literally go smash, hack, slay villains left, right and centre at will but I can do it with a handheld pad not a mouse and a keyboard, it'll drive me nuts it will drive you nuts because believe me in these MMO games you need lots of controls ok but actually in a, a slight tie-in with a bit of a Marvel theme I'll come to this one now, just because it ties in quite neatly. It's that um, Sega signed up the rights with Marvel to bring out a couple of uh, new superhero games. Uh, the first one they've got lined up apparently is Iron Man, about the guy with the big iron suit. Um, there's a film coming out of the same title in May 2008, so we're pretty much guessing that the game will come out about the same time. So you can be Robert Downey Jr. in Iron. Yeah, it's kind of quite hard to picture Robert Downey Jr. as being a big superhero dressed in a metal suit. But we'll stick with the game, I think, on that one. It's easier to imagine. <laughs> but then, going the other way, this is one thing that I'm really not keen on. Is apparently, rumour has, um, that there's going to be a new Street Fighter film coming out. This is when video games shouldn't go to the cinema. Remember, there was a really rubbish one, the Jean-Claude Van Damme film, that was just appalling, is the most polite word I can think of it. Um, but yeah, 2008, uh, 20th anniversary of when the game first came out. Um, yeah, and apparently a film's going to be coming out uh, about it. This time, folks will be on Chun Li, apparently, not Guile, like he's been taking all the plaudits in the last few films. 
So that's one to completely miss and avoid in 2008. Oh well, speaking of rubbish video game tie-ins, or at least hopefully this one won't be, we have um, more information regarding Star Wars Lethal Alliance, which is the um, PSP and DS. Basically, it's going to be set between the episodes 3 and 4. Um, Princess Leia proposes a dangerous quest to secure the future of the Rebel Alliance. And basically, you're going to do all the things that you would normally do in typical Star Wars games. Probably won't have a lightsaber, but there you go. Um, but you're going to have um, collaborative fighting, some cinematic scenes, and they go epic gameplay, but they say epic gameplay on every game release, I feel. Um, but the big thing is you're going to have some new Star Wars characters in there. So not only are you going to obviously see Leia in there, but you're going to have her newest followers, um, which is Rihanna and Zio. Uh, Zio is a droid. Did they not learn anything? New characters in Star Wars generally don't get a good response, do they? Well, you're going to get all the normal Star Wars characters in it, so you're going to get Boba Fett, Kyle Katarn, Leia, Darth Vader, um, and all the usual things, and lots of stormtroopers to kill. But the interesting thing is it's you know the very first Star Wars game for the uh, DS, in terms of being a specific title for that. It's going to be full 3D, and apparently it's going to use a DS-only unique weapon called the Dual Cannon. Um, it could be quite interesting to see you know, how it plays, but uh, that one's got a release date of 2006 uh, December, so it's not all that far away. Ideal Christmas gift for any Star Wars fan. He's got a DS. <laughs> it would help. Okay, what have I got? I've got a little bit of hardware news, actually. Um, I don't know if you know the Xbox 360 or Microsoft brought out a new downloadable upgrade for it. Um, where basically you can upgrade the interface and the dashboard, just tweaking it, making it run better, making it run smoother. Could run 1080p resolution games and videos, just basically making it a bit more user friendly, which was all well and good. 85 upgrades, everything was looking superb. What a bargain for free! But then it turned out that um, it was killing people's machines. They were downloading this upgrade, and then their Xbox was nothing more than a pile of smoke that they could do nothing with. Fortunately for 99% of the people who did it, it works perfectly fine, but there's quite a few people around whose um, Xboxes were left dead, uh, unrevivable, and a complete waste of space and plastic. So, if you're thinking about downloading it, be a little bit wary. It's only a minor, tiny percentage. Uh, there's a problem, and I'm sure Microsoft will give you your money back if it does go pear-shaped. But yeah, strange things are afoot with your Xbox 360 if you're downloading this stuff, so be warned. This week's Games Review. Well, I've been playing Battlefield 2142 this week. Now, for people who've played the original Battlefield, it's a no-brainer, it's just a sequel. For those who haven't, it's effectively very similar to either, say, Quake 3 or Team Fortress. It's basically two sides that uh, go head-to-head in combat using guns, shooting each other, and basically that's it as a game. Now, you might have the capture-the-flag type missions or whatever, but... Ultimately, it's one side versus the other. Make as many kills as you can and complete the sort of quest for want of a better description. There is no real single player game. It's basically played online, multiplayer with other people. You forge your own teams. However, there is a single player game as such. But basically all that is is um, you and a load of bots versus a load of bots. So if you're not really um, online... You can't actually even play this game, you need to connect, but it, it, there is no real single player. It's just you purely you against the bots. Now, 
the big changes obviously are they've brought it into the future so there are some extra weapons that uh, uh, you would normally not have in the original battlefield games because they were set during the wartime for example you're going to have such things like EMP grenades which will obviously set out off a, a magnetic pulse and uh, halt anything that's electrical you also have the high-tech vehicles that you can drive and if you're anything like me you can drive them really bad um, such as hover tanks the other big change that they have to the game is the titans now the titans are effectively huge flying warships above once you start running it rushing the other side you'll eventually get to effectively missile rocket launcher type silos and then you can actually shoot these rockets at the titans to bring them down and destroy them which is the end of the uh, which is the ultimate aim of the titan game mode but the problem is, is it's very much a one-dimensional game. You on one side, them on the other, mayhem and choose, shoot a lot of rounds, um, and that's basically it. Now, for me, that just doesn't cut the mustard. I like something with a bit of a challenge, a bit of a story, and, and a, fit, a general feeling of accomplishment. Um, for me, the, the, you know, the Battlefield games, and this included, don't really do it for me. However there are a lot of people who do like that kind of thing. Team Fortress is huge, um, and so is Battlefield 2, so is Quake 3 Team Arena. If you're one of those people who like those particular games, you're going to get a kick out of this. In terms of graphics and sound, the sound is very aggressive. I've only got a 2.1 setup for my um, my PC, but the subwoofer was seriously banging all the way through it. From the gunfire, from rockets, from the vehicles, there is a huge amount of bass to this game. In terms of graphics, I'm running a, a, an NVIDIA 7900 GT card, which is uh, overclocked by the manufacturer, and at 1280 by 1024 I was having no slowdown um, and no graphic problems at all, and I had it um, all on max with uh, 80 aliasing uh, set to four times. It, it looks very, very good, and it plays good if you like that kind of thing. The problem is, is like I say, there are a lot of people who do like this game, um, and for fans, it's going to be very good. But I don't think it's as good as the original Battlefield 2. It just seems like an expansion and a bit of an update, but it doesn't actually offer you a huge amount of difference between the games themselves. So, basically, if you're a fan, you're going to love this. You'll, I'd probably say it's worth a 7. If, unfortunately, you're like me and it's not your cup of tea, it's only really a 4 out of 10. Okay, so this week I've finally got my hands on a copy of FIFA 2007. This is for the Xbox 360, by the way. It's always been hyped up. It's been the FIFA versus the Pro Evo challenge ever since they first came together on any console. And um, to be honest with FIFA, I'm I'm a little bit disappointed with it. But then I don't think Pro Evo was exactly everything that people hoped and dreamed it would be either. But one of the things they've done with FIFA that I found is that they've tweaked it to points where it didn't really need to be tweaked. One example is just in terms of general presentation. So they they felt a need to change the interface slightly to change the look and feel of it, um, which was completely unnecessary. And I think now that it looks worse than it did before on the old on the original Xbox. And they've also changed the, the visualization, the characterization of the players. Where before they were kind of you know borderline realistic. You can kind of go with it. You've got an idea of who's who. And because it's on the 360, I guess they figured they need to make an upgrade, make it look bigger, brighter, and better. And it looks bigger, it looks brighter, but it doesn't look better. The players, instead of having just your standard kind of console glazed look to them now, it's as if they've gone over the top and made them super shiny like these waxwork dolls. So that you can make out the player, they look kind of a bit more cartoony than they really should be, which instantly loses an edge for me in terms of realism that you kind of want from the game. But in terms of gameplay, they, they have made it better in many respects. 
uh, one of the first things, the physics, that was always a little bit off with the previous FIFA games, they've fixed to quite a fine degree. For example, they've made the ball, the ball play look more realistic, whereas before it was as if it was just stuck to the ground and it was just moving along on rails that you've got no real control over. They've fixed a little bit so it feels more realistic and have also improved the whole rebound factor. So instead of the ball just hitting the keeper, bouncing out in a way that you can predict, it could hit the keeper, it could bounce off, it could hit the post, bounce back, hit a defender, anything. You're never really 100% sure of what's going to happen to it. But then, having said that, gameplay is still pretty much the same. Um, they're still the same cheap goals. You can just run down the touchline because the game plays very slowly compared to Prevo. So you've got plenty of time just to sort of sit back, think, right, I've got the ball, I'm going to play it wide, going to run down the touchline, double tap for a low cross, striker coming into the near post, 1-0, happy days. So to that extent, still quite simple, still very straightforward, which is fine, it makes it quite playable, but doesn't always make it that entertaining. Some of the things as well that they've really spoiled. One, They've only now got six registered leagues. Um, you've got the English Premiership, you've got Italy, France, Germany, Spain, and for some obscure reason you can play the Mexican League. But this is only the first divisions, or the Premiership in the UK, Serie A, and Italy, and so on and so forth. Whereas before, you could play down, play as a lower league side, which is you know good fun, and then especially when you take it into the management mode, where you could take a small team, play around with it, and make them into bigger and better players, and so on. You can't do that now, you've just got the six leagues to play within. Still a lot of teams, you've got all the international teams and so on in there, but it's it's just not the same as it was. It's kind of, it's lost the edge. If you're not a Chelsea Man U Arsenal fan, then, I don't know, you feel slightly guilty about playing as another team. It's, it's wrong. Although, having said that, I do support Norwich, not exactly successful championship side. So, yeah, just pretty much envious of those teams as much as not wanting to play as them. And the other thing as well, that's just really bad. It's never been a high point for these football man uh, football simulation games anyway. It's the commentary, the audio commentary. They've got Andy Gray and Martin Tyler doing it again. It was always pretty weak before, but it's just absolutely awful. It spoils me. You want to play it with the sound down this time round. It seems like they've only got about 10 phrases apiece. They're just played over and over and over again. Two of them are apparently jokes where Martin Tyler is laughing at something he says fine, works the first time, but it's happening five, six times in a match, by which time you just hate him. It's not funny. It wasn't funny in the first place. It's not going to be funny the fifth time around. And also, just the range is very slim. Andy Gray just says something about the goalkeeper making a great save. You know, this team would be terrible without him. They'd have lost the match ages ago. It's nil-nil, five minutes gone, and it was a back pass. It was a shot where you hit the shoot button instead of the cross button and it's rolled into the air and you picked it up. It's just completely unrealistic. Completely wrong. And that just helps to spoil the whole atmosphere of the game. But summing up, they've made it better in some ways. Like I say, they've tweaked it. You've got a nice little intro section now whilst things are loading up. You can just run around a practice pitch with Ronaldinho and stuff like that. Just take shots, have a play around. But they've just I've just taken the bits out, which for me in the previous FIFA just made it feel more realistic, more involving. And it's just, for me, it's going to get good scores. It's going to get, you know, it's a good 8 out of 10. For me, it's... 7 out of 10 because it should have been better it should have been a good 8 possibly a 9 and it's just not but still fun still playable go ahead give it a go but just don't expect it to be everything that uh, it's probably been hyped up to be brought to you by AV forums and avplay.com oh my god is there nothing you people can't do this is the AV podcast this week's roundtable discussion hosted by Phil Hinton
Welcome to this week's Review Roundtable. This week we're going to look at computer animation in the movies. Not 2D, but 3D animation, and starting with the likes of Toy Story and the Pixar Revolution. So to kick us off, it's Chris. Yeah, the CGI revolution, making movies uh, purely computer generated. It's coming on from the, uh, the cartoon movies of old, which we all knew and loved. Obviously it's a technological advancement. It's a lot more... It's hyper-realistic, isn't it? Toy Story obviously taking the uh, the bull by the horns. And at the time, it was groundbreaking. And it's, it still is pretty amazing. I can't need to watch even now. But it's quite strange to see how quickly um, the next movie that comes out completely trounces the, uh, the visuals and just adds more and more detail, more dynamism, more vibrancy. And, and yeah, it, it, they're really great films. So what was it that made uh, Toy Story such a revolution, guys? Oh, I, th- I think as um, as a film, if you if you took out a lot of the a, a lot of the CGI aspects and you looked at it as a film, it uh, it developed quite an interesting story for children and adults. Interesting characters. It was quite funny, and um, and it used a new form of technology to make that uh, make that accessible for audiences. Um, I think that that's where a lot of CGI animations fail as if they forget about anything but the CGI. That's why something like The Incredibles succeeded so well, because if it was done as a a normal movie, not that it could be done, but if it was, it would actually be a really enjoyable movie. And as as a CGI animation, they can just take the humour and the concepts to newfound levels. It's one of my favourite movies per se, let alone as a CGI animation. I totally agree with you. The Incredibles is an amazing, amazing movie. It's a great, uh, it's a great superhero film as well, as well as just being a great CGI and family entertaining vehicle. It's a, it's a great superhero movie in its own right. But you, the point of being about the um, Pixar's <coughs> particularly clever use of telling good stories and not just using the eye candy as a, hey, look what we can do now. <coughs> they actually do tell a good story, have good performances. And, uh, you know, they are rewarding experiences all around. Monsters, Inc. was a great one, again. Um, Finding Nemo, again, fantastic stuff. Um, and, of course, they had their arch rivals in DreamWorks, a lot of stuff that they've been producing. And I don't know about you, the rest of you guys, but I, I, apart from Shrek, I think DreamWorks don't quite look the same. They don't have the same sort of character and depth that Pixar seem to manage. Well, I think I'd have to agree with that. I think that... Um I, I I do enjoy Shrek, but I don't find um, the DreamWorks stuff quite as on the ball as the Pixar stuff. But they really succeeded with with Toy Story. They really set the ball rolling, or set the standard so high with Toy Story and Toy Story Two. Um, they were both tremendous efforts. I do have to say that I I remember before a lot of these movies. I remember the Final Fantasy movie, The Spirits Was it Within, that came out. And it had, uh, had, I think, like Alec Baldwin doing the voice of one of the characters. And it was supposed to be ultra-realistic in yeah, CGI terms. realistic yeah. Yeah, and it was, um, uh, it was a serious movie as opposed to sort of like a fun Toy Story movie. And um, I, d- I don't know wh- why films like that don't succeed as much as the Pixar DreamWorks films. I think um, it's a shame we don't see more films like that, although it wasn't particularly coherent. That, that is a strange thing, that, because, yeah, the more reali- realistic that they go, the more shallow that they seem to be. I don't know why that should be. I mean, even if you look at um, Polar Express, which, again, was uh, 
well, obviously it's more cartoon inspired, but the animation is truly gobsmacking, isn't it? But again, for me personally, that, that film just seemed to lose all humanity. And it, it, is, it is very strange where you can invest more care and consideration and sympathy with a bunch of pixels in the likes of The Incredibles or Monsters, Inc., whereas you can't do it with stuff like Ice Age. Do you not think it's, a, it's more along the lines of um, every successful computer animation um, film has been a comedy, basically, aimed at both adults and kids? Do you think it's, that's the only reason they succeed, because they, they aim the, the material at both camps? It's, it's difficult well, to tell. Maybe it does come down to whether it's just a comedy or not, because that does broaden out the, um, the spectrum of audience you can get. I mean, you see things like Big Mama's House 2, top at the box office. I'm not surprised that when it comes to animations, the more serious animations don't get um, the recognition they deserve in terms of audience numbers. But, but perhaps that's not a reflection of their quality. It's just a shame that the ones that are popular churn out more and more, which are perhaps of decreasing quality. And, I mean, recently we have a whole space of them, and I, I don't even want to... I don't want to see any of them because there are just too many of them. God, yeah, you're right. There's so many coming out right now, isn't there? Hoodwinked. Um, cars. Op- open season. Yeah, Cars. Bit of a disappointment, that one, really. Well, even, even coming from Pixar, it seemed that they'd, uh, they'd perhaps gone a pixel too far. Well, Hoodwinked's an interesting one that you brought up because that's actually quite an old movie. Um, that came out at the beginning of the year in the States. It's just taken forever to get over here. Um, and I'm not sure if that's because of um, Anne Hathaway is involved in it and it's riding on the crest of the Devil, May's, uh, the Devil Wears Prada, or um, if it's just because there is, you know, such a a, a popular surge in these movies, you know, with uh, from Over the Hedge, Open Seasons coming, um, yeah. As you say, you've got Hoodwink, Barnyard, um, Barnyard again, another one, yeah. Ratatouille is coming out. I think it is, and then you've got the uh, you've got the Aardman animations one, which is using CGI, but it's utilising the, their kind of claymation characters. So it's a complete CGI movie, but it's all done in in their traditional vein. Um, it's just overkill now, and it, they, they they seem to have latched on that. Oh, this is doing well. Oh, it's making loads of money. Um, and you know, let's be honest, it's going to wear it thin. It's market saturation, isn't it? So, so which ones have we not mentioned yet? Uh, ants. Ants. <laughs> Bugs Life. Bugs well, I know Bugs Life. But the thing is, is if you think about it, um, Toy Story 1 was the first one that came out and Pixar got on the map. DreamWorks then thought, hey, oh, we've got to do something to rival this. And you got Bugs Life and Ants come out at virtually the same time. Yep. Both ants about being the more, the more adult one. Mm. That's the it. The kids and just did not understand Ants went over kids' heads big time. You know, you got you know sort of Woody Allen. I mean, you can't. It's it's you know it's a great thing to have Woody Allen from from an adult point of view because he has got you know he he has got his moments. Um, and then Stallone they went as well, wasn't it? That's it, Stallone, that's, uh, Sharon Stone, their films, Jennifer Lopez. Who's a huge. Yeah, yeah, and then right. if you go to if you go against you know Nemo, Shark's Tale, DreamWorks again. Oh, Shark's Tale. Oh, pants. shocking film. Yeah, Shut up. I have a, I have a soft yeah. spot. For that movie, yeah. oh, shocking! Between your eyes, yeah. Huh? <laughs> Nothing. Well, I was going to say. That, well, I mean, I, I, I kick the conversation off by saying, yeah, people forget about um, Blue Sky. You know, everyone's going, oh, DreamWorks, all Pixar, but you know, Blue Sky would do some really cool things with uh, with Ice Age and Ice Age Two. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed Ice Age, I have to say, but um, I, I thought the animation was 
again, by virtue of the way that the film's meant to be looking anyway, it's meant to be bleak and barren and everywhere is white. It just seemed to lack the depth that we'd come to expect from you know, CGI epics. However, the story was pretty good. And there is that moment of uh, the, the lump in the throat moment when Manny sees the, the pictures on the cave, the cave wall, and remembers his family. I have to say, I didn't expect that, that bit to come up and to be quite so emotionally distraught by it either. So you were a bubbly baby in front of your five-year-old then, were you? I, I was. I mean, I didn't see it at the flicks, thankfully. God, can you imagine blubbering in the, in the movies now? But uh, yeah, I waited till it came on DVD after the groundswell of uh, the you know, word of mouth had suddenly hit me. Oh, this is actually quite a good one. And, uh, yeah. and I, I was quite impressed, to be honest. Not so impressed with the sequel. I haven't. I personally haven't, I haven't seen, seen the sequel. sequel. So I, uh, I, quite enjoyed the thir- I quite enjoyed the first one, but it always struck me as... Um, a scrap was a device to keep the kids' attention. Yeah, you're right. There, yeah. You know, sort of like we'll be we're being sensible and we've got, you know, things to say and we're keeping an adult tone and all oh, his scrap just to keep the kids interested. <laughs> He'll come back in again yeah. in a minute when they get bored. Pure tactics, yeah. That's it. Although the saber tooth tiger is it Dennis Leary? It's Dennis Leary. Yes, yes. Uh, he he is really good. He is really good. I have to say. And one we've forgot about is uh, is it time to fling poo at them yet, Philip? Madagascar. Oh, with the rock hard penguins. Yeah, the the penguins. Yeah, again, they they made the film, didn't they? They're the most popular characters in the movie, even getting their own little offshoot, which is actually better than Madagascar, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they they were pretty violent, I thought, for the movie. I'd, the bit where they take over the ship and uh, one of the crew begins to regain consciousness and then gets a a back flipper in his face, which I thought it was a little bit harsh, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, still, made you laugh, didn't it? Well, yeah. So Sasha Baron Cohen, of course, toned down ridiculously. I Good don't character, like could have been used a lot better. You, can, you uh, knew that guy was being reined in there. Of course, he's now got his own back house named Borat. <laughs> see, see, the thing is, is I put, or I, is that I a bow rat? Oh dear, uh, and these are the jokes, folks. I'm so sorry. No, I, I'm, I'm, I, yeah, going off on a tangent. I don't like um, Sasha Baron Cohen's character. I can't stand Ali G, and Borat probably won't do it for me either. But, uh, well, but yeah. have, you, have you noticed that again? Yeah, you know, um, things like you know, Madagascar. You've got a, a famous comedian in Ice Age. You've got Dennis Leary, the, the second-rate Bill Hicks that he is. Yeah, it's, um, play, it's playing it safe, isn't it? It's getting a name. It. The wild-head Eddie Izzard. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, open season has Ashton Kutcher. Well, that doesn't yeah. work. So, well, it has Martin Lawrence as well. So it really doesn't work. Over the hedge has Bruce Willis. Yep. Um, and William Sh- was it William Shatner in that? William Shatner's in there somewhere. Uh, ben Stiller's in Madagascar. Madagascar. Yeah. Oh, David Will Schwimmer. He's <laughs> forget. He's forgettable. Who? Um, David Schwimmer. Oh, Will Ed, Smith. Eddie, Eddie Murphy, of course, in Shrek. Yeah. Will, Will Smith was um, Shark's Tail. Oh dear. Yeah. We missed out robots as well. Yeah, let, let, let's let's go near Shark's Tail. What was that? Robots. 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 No, that was that robots, was Robots. Of I enjoyed course. that. Yeah. Um, that was Blue Sky, wasn't it? I mentioned Disney a long while ago. Um, wasn't Treasure Island? Um, wasn't that CGI? Or certainly had a lot of CGI elements but in the, it. The, the first use of CGI... Treasure, treasure, treasure Planet, I should say. Yeah, Treasure Planet. Treasure Planet yeah. But the, the first use of CGI with uh, 2D animation was actually Beauty and the Beast, if you're going right the way yeah, back. Yeah, the, uh, the, 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 the ballroom sequence. Yeah. Actually, was it not Tron? Technically Tron. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, if you... I suppose, if really you're, was I, I suppose you're right, yeah. If, yeah. if you really want to be accurate, it is Tron. But, I mean, the first Disney movie to really use CGI as we know it today 
with it, and and I'm sure it was the Pixar system back then was Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, it was the big ballroom sequence, wasn't it? Yeah. The, the camera lift came down from the rafters and swelled around them. Yeah, and it's well, it's, it's now like quite a an obvious moment if you watch the film now. But at the time, it was it was pretty, you know, revelatory, wasn't it? See, I'm I'm really a a, a, a sucker on the Disney things. Most of them I really don't give a, a hoot about. Um, but my favourite Disney one is Lilo and Stitch because it's the yeah. anti Disney movie. Lilo and Stitch is fantastic. My son watches that all the time. It, it's it, it's such a bizarre concept. You've got a dysfunctional family. You've got an alien being pursued pursued by even more bizarre aliens. Who, who ends up in Hawaii, and he's, you're meant to, you know, embrace this character, and he, he just lives to destroy things, and he finds a heart, I mean, you've got the traditional Disney ethic is in there, but it's so subverted and truly, truly weird. I suppose, yeah, I mean, I suppose if they would do that in live action, it'd be the chav coming to join the family, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be scary. Oh, dear. Yeah. Um, Another good thing to look out for in Lilo and Stitch is look out for the uh, the liquid laser bolts that you know, they fire from the guns when they're trying uh-huh. to get. They 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 look brilliant at the. I don't know. They're obviously not particularly effective. Big sort of green gooey splats, but hmm. there's just something so strange. It's a, it's a great. It's just visual. such an off kilter movie, though, isn't yeah. it? It's always off kilter. It's completely bizarre. Mm. Oh, oh, wonderful. So- Sorry, just going back. Um, going back to the comedians in um, all the movies, and you said about robots. Um, we we forgot Robin Williams is in it. Oh, I said that. Sorry, mate. Robots <laughs> I'm Williams. sorry. I'll just shut Simon out. Can you call him a comedian? <laughs> you can't really <laughs> say you're saying comedians, but yeah. he's not <laughs> really, is it? He was funny at one point. Oh, come what on. was that? Mork and Mindy. It was between Mork oh, and Mindy so and, and, and Dead Poets. <laughs> I, I've got a, I've got a few um, of him live on stage. I mean, they're, they're VHS, so they'll never see them yeah, again. Yeah, I remember the one. There's I have one to say, really they're, good. they're brilliant. They are really yeah. brilliant. Is it the the sixty minute one where there's he's a sixty minute one? It's one for like an hour and a half as well. Yeah, the, the second one, which I think is the live on Broadway from around two thousand and two, yeah. two thousand and four, isn't I mean, as good see, as the you other see one. Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy doing all their shtick and all the, the latest ones and their, their crazy antics, including the likes of Lee Evans, who was so bizarre when you see him on stage, and a live wire. But no one can touch Robin Williams. That guy can seek from one character to another in the you know a nanosecond mm-hmm. and keep a story going, and he's. He's completely off his box. Well, you're obviously forgetting the, the major role that he did have in animation, which was as the Aladdin. genie in Aladdin. Aladdin, oh, yeah. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Who, now, he was funny the way, in he, that. He annoyed the hell out of me in that. Really? And I was so I looking forward to it because... It's because he was reined in. Robin, Robin is going to be in this. He's playing his usual self. It's going to be great. And every time that bloody genie came on, I was like, oh, turn it off. Turn it <laughs> off. Shut up, man, you know. But uh, no, <laughs> I'm like that every time a Star Wars movie comes out. <laughs> well, you, well, you see, you basically, can't help yourself. You know, they're basically you, CG cartoons, aren't they? Damon, you can't help yourself, can you? But you know, in all seriousness, it was actually George Lucas's company that developed the Pixar computer, so we wouldn't have the animation that we have today without his involvement at some point. So, yeah, you know, take the mickey, yeah, CGI it, movies, yeah, one, look bad. But, you know, he did kick off the Pixar system. But if it, he kicked off Pixar? I thought that was actually the guy from Macintosh. Well, was he kicked, kicked off, off Pixar? Pixar. <laughs> well, it was part of ILM um, originally, which he, he sold off. He sold the Pixar division off. So it was really? part of ILM, yeah. Perhaps they, you know, oh, I didn't think so much that they were bought, they, they left and got sold out. Perhaps they just walked out when they saw Jar Jar Binks. 
It's not as funny as my last one. No, no but I can edit in the laughing. <laughs> so do you think that the um, the old hand-drawn techniques are, are gone forever then? Do you think that that's dead now because of CGI? In a lot of quarters, so? a lot of people seem to think that, but I still like um, traditional hand-drawn animation. There's still a... I don't know. It's just an aesthetic thing, really. I love the the, the lovely, rich, deep colours of, of t- traditional animation, which again is something that Pixar seems to have picked up on, because their movies do incorporate colour and vibrancy and depth to a greater degree than, uh, well, the DreamWorks and a lot of the other ones that are coming out now. But no, I I, st- I still love traditional animation. The original Disney movies, they still look glorious even today. So moving on to what we're likely to see in the future, guys, and one of the recent releases at the moment using animation as well as live action is a scanner darkly. Yeah, the interpretation of Philip K. Dick's um, novella. Well, it's the second movie, isn't it, um, that's come out using the style. It was um, Waking Life was the latest first movie that utilised the style. If you cast your minds back even further, the original version of Lord of the Rings, the, an- the Ralph Bakshi animated one, I mean, that had hordes of orcs and orakai who weren't, weren't they somehow... I mean, it was very primitive use of, of, of technology at the time. They were actors, weren't they, who were then drawn over. Am I right in them? Is that yes, you are you asking for telling? Well, I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I'm talking about the right thing, really. I mean, it was it's certainly a primitive type of, of uh, technological advancements in animating because they were live act- live actors performing the roles who were then drawn over. There's yeah, a term right. for it, which I've completely forgotten the name of the term, but... It was filmed with live actors in black and white and rotoscoped. Rotoscoping, that's what that's I was it. looking for, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, even yeah. then, I mean, that was back in 1978, wasn't it? That's it, it was the first entirely rotoscoped animated feature. Which has obviously paved the way for the likes of A Scanner Darkly now, or the whole idea of using actors and then drawing over them, basically to create a, a, a bizarre sort of heightened reality again. I like it. I think the idea is great. Uh, I, I've, I collect some, some comics, and I have some comics which, um, which use this, this concept, like the 24 comics, and of course the tie-in comic for A Scanner Darkly, which uses the um, Im- live-action images, and they're taken and they're drawn over. And so it's basically stills from the film. Um, and I've never particularly liked that style. I think it's a an interesting new concept, but it feels a bit gimmicky to me, because um, it's neither someone's artistry, nor is it the actual actors themselves. It's kind of um, it's like when you play around with f- photos on Photoshop and you just decide to negative them. It looks nice for a bit, but it's yeah. it seems like a bit of a gimmick to me. I think it's probably a personal thing, and I think again in a, in a comic book itself that may look a little bit odd. When you're seeing it in a movie, um, obviously your eyes will get used to that. Like, particularly, it's kind of darkly, but the entire film is like that. I think, obviously, you're gonna, your eyes are going to get used to it and embrace it. Either like it or you don't like it, I suppose. But, um, but with a comic book, yeah, I, I don't think it would work too well with a static image in the comic book for some reason. I was going to say, I wonder how uh, traditional animators view that because um, they're, they are only animating live action. They're not being asked to animate from scratch. I wonder if they feel threatened upon. They probably think, well, this is an easy gig for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all they're doing is basically... They're, they're just drawing a, a cell over the top of the uh, individual frame. It's so, cheating, isn't it? 
it is cheating then they're ultimately tracers so uh, it must be quite frustrating but on the other side of the coin it is you know, if you think about it an interesting challenge in its own right again it's just another um, exploration in a visual medium isn't it I mean everyone's going to try something different at some point um, this just seems well, as Cass says a, a bit gimmicky I suppose but if you like it you know it's, it works so guys to to round off um, why don't we discuss our favourites um, from the computer animation uh, field and whether or not they're available on DVD and what the DVDs are like and I'll start by saying that I'm a huge Toy Story fan and the Ultimate Toy Box is pride of place in my collection because of that, because I love the Toy Story films, I love the humour behind it, and it was the thing that kick-started all this computer animation off, and I still think it looks glorious today. So, unfortunately you can't get the Ultimate Toy Box anymore, uh, you might be able to pick it up on eBay, but there are but there are the 10 an- anniversary discs which have DTS sound, so if you can get your hands on them, um, that's highly recommended from me. Chris? Um, I've got to go with The Incredibles. Um, that is a fantastic movie. That ticks all the boxes for me. Um, the superhero story is is great. The family coming together, the whole family drama, that works as well. It's got danger. There's the actual jeopardy. The kids are in jeopardy. And I have to say, I totally love Mrs. Incredible. Elastigirl, just, that is the, the best bunch of pixels I've ever seen. And um, the island setting, I've never seen a more convincing CGI foliage. That is just totally gobsmacking to look at. I have the, the Region 1 double-disc edition, which I don't think has been topped yet. I'm not too sure, but I don't think it has. There is no DTS sound on it, but the Dolby Digital 5.1 does an absolutely phenomenal um, job. It's a great, great film. Fully recommend it. Kaz? Well, I, I think that... Seeing as someone's uh, put me to the post on Incredibles, I'd probably have to go with um, perhaps Ghost in the Shell 2. Um, it's, uh, I loved Ghost in the Shell and I loved the series. And um, the original animation, uh, you can see the progression it's made into Ghost in the Shell 2, which is just a lavish, sumptuous, beautiful film. Um, the, the disc I've got is the Region 1 edition, which I think it does come with a commentary, but it's only a single disc. But I think you can buy box sets with the CD soundtrack and all kinds of things. But I'd highly recommend Ghost in the Shell. And for an example of something looking beautiful, um, Ghost in the Shell 2. Seth? Oh, I'm, I'm slightly torn. Um, in one way, I, kind of, I, I have a fond spot, um, believe it or not, for the Polar Express. But that's mostly because I caught it in IMAX 3D. Um, and it, it, it makes the movie completely different. Um, from watching it on DVD in in, in the two dimensions, so th- there is kind of a, a soft spot for, for for that movie there. Otherwise, it's between Monsters Inc. and Finding Nemo. Um, I like The Incredibles. Um, obviously, Castas and Chris infuses over it. Uh, there's just something really um, kind of innocent about both the Monsters Inc. and uh, and Nemo. Um, there's a, a wonderful base moment. Uh, for LFE fans in Nemo when uh, uh, Dala taps on the uh, glass tank uh, uh, where Nemo's sort of captive so it's a nice demo disc as well and it's a beautiful film as well some really vivid colours in that and the fur on the Sully looks fantastic and and, and if you think about it you know uh, having seen the uh, Open Caesar trailer the other week, um, it's a natural progression, but uh, 
it, it is very, very convincing. You've got to remember, Monsters Inc. is quite an old film now. It's what, five years, something like that. It's, so uh, yeah, five years, I think. So, it's a great yeah, film. It yeah. is a it is a good it is a great one. So I think I'd probably I'd be torn between those. There, there's just something fun about them. And finally, Simon. Well, um, like like the rest of you guys, personally, the the Incredibles for me is is my most favourite of all the of all the these type of films we're talking about. Although um, up until then, it was always Shrek. Now I know we've talked about Pixar and Dream DreamWorks being uh, being at against each other. Shrek for me I always felt was slightly better than um, Toy Story. Um, its animation was slightly better and I always felt its story was very good. It had a very nice story um, with um, the, the ogre and, and the, the, the singing, the, the speech, the, the grass, the way it moved. I always felt that was a, a particularly good story and a particularly good film. But as I say, and Chris has already said it, The Incredibles is, uh, is the one for me. Well, our thanks to Simon, Kaz, Chris and Seth. And that's been our review roundtable for this week. For more DVD news and reviews, visit avplay.com. And that's just about all for this week. Don't forget we have 10 amazing competitions for you to enter at avforums.com forward slash competitions. And congratulations to our winners who were announced for the Family Guy game and Season 5 box set, as well as the Garth Marenghi DVD. To find out more details on the competitions, and if you're a winner, just head over to www.avforums.com forward slash competitions. And don't forget to download this week's hardware edition of the AV Podcast. Special features include the AV Play Review Team, taking a look at the Denon 1730 upscaling DVD player, and we also visit the What Hi-Fi and Best of Stuff show. And don't forget, we also value your feedback on the AV Podcast. You can leave a post in the AV Podcast forum at avforums.com. You can contact us by email at podcast at avforums.com, or you can leave us a voice message on 0208 123 9587. Jason. Thanks, Phil. And that wraps up the movies and games edition of this week's AV podcast. This is Jason Bradbury saying thanks for listening. Stay subscribed and tell your friends. The AV podcast was presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. The audio visual news was written by John Archer. Original music by Andrew Bassett. The AV play review team were Chris McAnini, Cass Harlow, Simon Crust, and Seth Gecko. The gaming news and reviews were presented by Ian Collin and Seth Gecko. The AV podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV podcast is copyright M2N Limited.